Hello, and welcome to Don't Follow the Herd. I am your host, Matthew, a.k.a. Dark Sheep. We are here in proud association with Pater Analytics. I am joined tonight by James McCool, Mr. Pater. James, how are you? Uh, I'm good, dude. I'm pretty good. Uh, today was kind of a long day, just simply because... Uh, I woke up super early. Damascus decided that he wanted to be up at 3.45 a.m. So um, I woke up with him and now he is frustrated, but that's okay. Um, we've, we've both had a long day. So I, I'm doing okay, though. I'm doing okay outside of that. Well, uh, we have a very special episode today where we are going to sit down and go through all 200 of my best ball lineups. So I'm, I'm glad you're here, James. Uh, One at a time. Give me a long day. Yeah. After week one, we're going to make it even longer. No, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. We are actually here. This this podcast is mostly focused towards tournament play, uh, GPPs and you know the, winning the big bucks there. But this week, we are going to take a step away from that and really focus, focus in on cash game type plays. So for that, I have enlisted the help of Brett Keeley, who – is crazy enough to play showdown cash games. That's just how kind of crazy he is. So, Brett, how are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. This is uh, pretty much my debut in, in, in the space of uh, podcast or uh, or content. So uh, I'm happy to uh, assist you guys, go back and forth, um, especially in a site that's kind of more driven or a podcast that's more driven towards tournament play, game theory. Um, so we can kind of go back and forth on that. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. If you don't know Brett, you you know him. His screen name B underscore heels uh, with some numbers. I forget the numbers, but uh, he one is five, all two. over. What's that? One five two. <laughs> one five two. So you see him uh, on Twitter complaining to uh, DK support often, but you also see him in a lot of the uh, contest lobbies. He's a really great player, so I'm happy to have him here. Start off. We'll step back way to the beginning. When somebody says. I think most people listening will ha- understand what is meant by cash. But James, just at a base base level, what is cash, and you know, why do why do we categorize it as something different? Uh, cash games are anything where the top half percent or the top fifty percent of the field ends up cashing. So in a in a tournament structure, what most people know of DFS is um, GPPs, which is guaranteed prize payouts. Cash games uh, are different because they pay out a significantly larger amount of the field and therefore are um, more rewarding to less volatile build paths and are something where it's considered a a safer version of DFS, quote unquote safer, because you don't have to do as much to cash. Um, That is a little bit of a myth and we can talk a little bit about why that is, but because it pays out 50% of the field, people think that it is the the safer version of DFS. So that that's why it's categorized as a cash game. Um, cash games should be considered uh, by a lot of people as the floor of your portfolio. So where you expect to have the most consistent payouts with uh, GPPs being um, where you are unlocking the upside of your portfolio. So it's uh, cash games are where you are making sure that you don't lose your entire ass and GPPs are where you get a bigger ass. 
And Brett, there's there's a few different types of contests. There's a, you want to just run through those and maybe some of the differences and maybe even what yeah. you prefer to play? I would say you can start with head-to-heads. Um, head-to-heads are very simple. Going against one opponent and you have to score more points in your lineup than your opponent. One dollar or you know, maybe even up to what about about ten K or so on sites. Um in my opinion, if we're focusing on NFL or the more advantageous cash game choice, um, you'll find a ton of soft opponents in NFL. Um, especially like if you if you're really tedious and scan the lobbies and try to look for the no badges. I don't have enough time for that personally with my volume, but you can do that. Or if you post, and as long as you're not getting scooped by some of the pros, but most pros tend to just post and, and forget it or leave it. So head and heads, head heads are good. Um, 50-50s, um, uh, FanDuel has a, a lot better and more robust 50-50 uh, lobby than DraftKings. Um, but 50-50s, uh, to do is percent out of the field, whether you finish first or whether you finish at 50 and you cash. The only difference between that and double ups is um, you're not completely doubling up because you're only having to finish in the top 50%. Whereas double ups, once you account for the rake, it's probably somewhere between like 43% maybe. So double ups, you get the full, you get the full 2x, but you have to finish a little bit higher in the percentile. Double ups, you'll you'll find um, everywhere on FanDuel and DraftKings, whereas 50-50s is kind of a little bit more on on uh, FanDuel in terms of, like, legitimately sized, you know, 100-man 50-50s that, you know, are, are pretty pretty active throughout the week for NFL especially. They'll, they'll regenerate a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of breaking them all down, the head-to-heads, though, <clears throat> I do think are the plus EV option of the three – um, you can really diversify it. And the great thing is, like, you'll find soft action, like, you know, even in higher stakes to a degree. That's basically the breakdown of all the different types of cash games. And Yeah, head-to-head, you'll still find Packer fan 420 with his uh, five-man Packer stack in the $100 lobby. <laughs> so I think before we really jump into construction, Brett, you, you brought up Rake, and I think James – that's one of the things that people don't think about too often when they're trying to determine if they're going to play cash games. They don't think about how much of their money is actually going to DraftKings and FanDuel um, when it comes to these kind of contests. They're just seeing it as, oh, I can get, I just beat one person and I get twice my money. Yeah, rake is something, so it rake always needs to be considered in the equation. Um, and most people, when they think of a 50-50 or when they think of a head up, heads up specifically, like a head-to-head, um, the very basic concept of it is one person versus one person. But it's really one person, versus one person versus one person as well as splitting the take that the site is taking for their fee. Um, most of the time, like when you have a $1 head-to-head on DraftKings, um, what you're actually doing is you're putting your 90 cents up against your opponent's 90 cents and DraftKings is taking 10 cents away from that, from both players. So you make back $1.80 if you win or you lose your full dollar. Um, but you really need to consider that rake because that 10% that DraftKings is taking from each player goes into the matchup and goes into your long-term ROI. So um, 
if you have that that 10%, right? Like you don't just need to be a 50% win rate player over the course of the entire year in order to break even. You have to be a 60% win rate player because you're automatically losing 10% against the rake. Um, and that's just a break even. So if you don't consider the rake when you're trying to play for a long-term style, um, you're probably calculating your long-term ROI pretty, pretty incorrectly. I know, Brett, for you to get around some of this, uh, this rake and, you know, get your ROI up in cash game style things. I know you're a fan. Oh, well, not a fan. You just you kind of have to have a ton of volume if you really want to uh, be able to realize a good ROI. Would you agree with that? Or am I putting words in your mouth? No, that's correct. Um, the other thing I'll piggyback off of James is that you will get reduced rake at higher stakes. Um, so it won't eat you alive as much. Now, obviously the caveat to that is you're going to face different competition. There's no doubt about that. Um, but the rake does lessen. So that helps. I spread myself out really far, kind of like an index fund. My theory is the more I can play, if I assume, I, if you, if you assume that you're a good player, that you have very good resources or projections. And if you play enough, now obviously margins get thinner over time. Um, there's so many good resources out there. There really is. But if you can if you can handle the volume and you, you can play more volume, obviously if you're only getting a few percent, but you're you know, you're playing massive volume, that's that's still gonna yield a, a pretty good overall return. Maybe not so much percent. I'm willing to play a lot of different game types, the showdowns and all that. Um, you you mentioned it there. You mentioned projection and tools and stuff. So James, when I want to uh, when I want to make my my cash lineup for the week, uh, all I do is go upload my projections and hit optimize, right? Uh, you can do that. Yeah, I mean, legitimately, you can do that. Like, there's nothing wrong with going and just optimizing based off of uh, whatever projections that you want to use. Um, my thing is that I, I kind of approach cash games a little bit differently. I think that... Um, while projections are good, uh, there is a way to play cash games that is equally as efficient and you don't even need projections. You can just run off of ownership. So you can go and find your favorite ownership projections instead. Um, or you can aggregate, which is what I do over at Pater. You can build an aggregate set of ownership projections and uh, you can build a lineup that is as chalky as humanly possible. Like literally every single player that is going to be popular that week. You build a cash lineup with that. And what that does is instead of building off of projections, which can be subjective based on the algorithm that is used to build them, um, instead you're just playing market values. And you're just saying, well, if I have the same lineup or the same players as 70% of the field, then the other 30% of the field that has to beat me um, has to be better than the consensus plays. So there's kind of two different theories that I think are valuable in cash games. I prefer to go with the ownership route just because I think that it is a bit more robust. But um, however way you want to do it, if, if you just build an optimal off of like the most common projection source that the industry uses, like one over at Rotor Grinders or something like that, I mean, you're still going to, as long as you are playing it correctly and as long as you are deploying it correctly, um, you can still find success that way. Brett, I... I don't believe that you use ownership too much. So I'll let you uh, expand on how, how you use uh, 
projections to build your lineup. Right. Um, that's a really interesting theory that uh, Jim's laid out. Um, it's not something I've really considered strongly. Um, I've only really considered ownership and, and GPPs, which is obviously essential. Maybe the number one thing you want to look at when you're building tournament lineups. Um, but um, I think that, that maybe that could be viable. The thing the thing is, if, if I'm playing cash and I'm a daily grinder and I do it every day, and I and you know if I really trust the sources I'm using, um, that's probably going to even out in the long run in terms of like maybe sneakier plays that one model likes versus another. Sometimes obviously it's going to bust, but then sometimes when it doesn't bust, you know it's going to it's going to get you a leg up there. But the other thing with me too, I'm kind of a a dinosaur uh, traditional player that you know plays you know like 80 percent cash and then sprinkles the rest in GPPs and stuff and, and maybe like some multipliers and stuff, triple ups, et cetera. So, and because I'm only playing one eye up and because I'm playing on multiple sites and multiple slates, um, being really efficient with my time is important. Um, so with that being said, um, it's good for me personally to have maybe slightly off the green cash plays at times because that will trickle into my other contests and capture that little bit of upside. If we're talking about strictly playing cash games, like in a vacuum, I can definitely see that being more and more viable um, because ownership's going to reflect the best plays most of the time. Um, so if if you're playing the highest owned plays and you have a good aggregate model for ownership projections, there's probably not much, you know, there's probably not very wide distribution of error there. So um, I could see that. If you are going the uh, the more traditional route and looking mostly at um, one one projection chart, I think a lot of people do that. Either they're just going based off their opinion, or they're you have those sorts of people, or the people that use like one their favorite site, their favorite set of projections, and build you know the best the best the highest number that they can put together in uh, median projections. So a lot of times what they don't realize when they're doing that is how close like just a one person or two person flop swap can be in terms of actual projected points. Brett, do you take one set of projections and optimize it or are you running multiple lineups to maybe pick out a little bit different of a play? Right. Um, I've actually, actually used both methods before. Um, if there is a sports or a certain model, I think has a bit of an edge over some of the other models. Like if I feel like it's factoring in more more data and it's it's you know have really strong back testing, I might lean on that more and more as like the one A. But in some sports, like for instance, the NBA for me, I feel like projections are so similar, and um, it's also probably the easiest sport to project to. So, like, for a sport like NBA, um, I the last season, especially, I, I tend to lean a little bit more on aggregating. I, I think it's pretty viable in NBA, honest. The outcomes are just so much more easier to predict. And, you know, sometimes when you run into, like, a really popular projection source, too, you don't want to be cut off at the legs by holding hands with the entire double-up lobby. Um, 
and a lot of times you might run into that with certain uh, very popular sites. Um, so an aggregate, even though it's taking in, um, you know, several different sites worth of projections, from line still might be a little unique. Now NBA is very unique. I mean, the amount of in, in the last two or three years, the amount of injuries and and load management and all that has just made it really hard on the sites. But I will say this: last season, I thought they did a better job. Seasons ago, there's just such obvious plays, and it was it was making it really difficult, really, to even to do cash at all because there was so much overlap with people's lineups. But, um, but at any rate, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a feel thing, you know how how much do you weigh your model uh, versus other models out there, um, and aggregating like how efficient is your process to aggregate? Do you have a system that can aggregate for you? Or are you literally like opening up Excel and downloading projections from several sources and and then, you know, doing a sum and then dividing it and, you know, and then organizing it from there and then uploading it to an optimizer. That's it's, it's depending on the sport and your time management and the sensitivity there. So, so I've, I've used both methods before. So James, if, if somebody wants to use your tools and your projections to build their cash game lineup, what kind of what kind of process would you suggest? Uh, well, I mean, for NFL specifically, there's a roster construction tool in the sheets that is really really nice for doing that. Um, lets you kind of put together a lineup. I, I don't have an optimizer for NFL, so be, because I'm poor. But uh, for NFL, you can hand build one pretty easily. I, I mean, a lot of the time, either you want to look at things from a optimization standpoint for projections, which is pretty easy for the most part. A lot of the time um, you're going to have the info if you're at any tout site, right? Like if you're with me over at Paydirt or if you're at FTN or if you're at Rotogrinders, whatever. Like a, a lot of the time, 99% of the time, um, the, the quote unquote best cash plays are going to be just spoon fed to you every single week. So you pretty much have a good idea of in NFL where you need to go at running back, where you need to go at wide receiver, blah, blah, blah. It almost always comes down to like 1v1s or 2v2s in cash games, right? So uh, the the hardest part there is, okay, well, you know six of the players that you already are going to have next week or th this week for cash games. Where do you get the other couple? Um, are they going to be high priced? Are Like, do you have room for studs? Are they going to be cheaper? Are they going to be mid-range, blah, blah, blah? That's where projections come in. That's where ownership comes in. You just want to end up optimizing against the field. Um, and I also will say that uh, the type of double up that you're in or the type 50, 50 that you're in, that matters as well. Like if you are in a, like the massive, massive $5 double up, you'll probably want to be using ownership because I think that it's a more robust way to do it for your one V ones and two V twos. If you're in the smaller ones, maybe use projections. Um, because I think that it is something that maybe you want to be aiming above the field on it instead of just aiming for that 55th percentile. So uh, I think they can go both ways, man. I think using projections is fine. If you want to take the projections, plug them into your favorite optimizer, you can do that. Um, I know that's the way that people are used to doing it, but you do really got to be careful. Like Brett said, um, if you're like in head-to-heads or if you're in double-ups or if you're in 50s, you don't want to do too much, especially in head-to-heads. You don't want to do period because then you just lose your rake. You have to literally email the site. How dumb is that, by the way? You have to email the site to get your rake back if you, had to, if you do yeah. the head-to-head. The FanDuel rep that um, 
they'll reimburse it for me. Well, you're a special man. You're like the, the masses have to email freaking DK support and be like, hey, so I duped in 48 of my head to heads. Uh, can you please refund that rake? Because otherwise, they won't do it. Piggybacking on something James was mentioning with the types of uh, double up contests. Essentially, if you're a lower stakes player on DraftKings, you can avoid all the, the sharks, all the pros, anyone that's played at least $1 million in lifetime entry fees. You can avoid them by playing, you know, less than five dollar uh, cash contests. Um, and on Fanduel, I think it's three dollars, but there's not like very many three dollar contests, so kind of silly there. But you're gonna want to attack those. And then the other thing with like multi double ups versus single entry, like, and then like the different like volume and stakes, like you're gonna want to, <laughs> you're gonna want to stay away from the multi entry double ups if you can afford to, because the problem with them is. Some people will max out, and especially in the ones five or up, I mean, you could have Chipotle, Papa, EM2, Hoop. I don't know if they attack, like all those guys attack them, but they can they can put a, a big chunk of their lineups and take up a big percentage of the contest. Um, so your contest selection is, is probably one of the most pivotal parts to cash, really, because cash is very challenging. There's not a ton of edge, so... Do you build one lineup and put it into all those different types of contests, the same one? Or do you ever uh, split your entries to a couple of different very close projecting sort of lineups? Personally, yeah, I don't personally hedge, hedge those entries. Um, I know some people, like, if they're, like, really stuck on, like, one or two key decision points, a 1v1 and 2v2, sometimes they'll split them. But my thing is just, you know, just kind of plant my plant my flag in one theory. And, you know, if they're th- if they're really that close, I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose. But over the course of the long run, it's not going to matter very much relative to my ROI. I guess for being a cash player, and even though I, you know, play really heavy cash, I kind of have a pretty good tolerance relative to that. Now, GPP people have to have a whole new level of tolerance. I'm willing. I'm willing to to kind of take my lumps by by having to make a key decision. And that's where again your volume over different slates comes in too. Yeah, playing playing more regularly too. Like even if I was playing low volume, if I'm if I'm playing consistently regularly, as opposed to somebody that's like, okay, I I play DFS sparingly. Like I might play like once or like say in a daily sport more so, I might play MLB once or twice a week, maybe only on the weekends. Um, so like these decisions are going to be, they're not going to be, they're going to be more crucial because you just don't have enough volume to see as much of the outcomes even out. We'll kind of jump into uh, NFL specific cash game, like considerations that if, even if you're not or if you are uh, optimizing, doesn't really apply, but if you're trying to put together more of a hand-built cash lineup uh, or put a little more analysis into the optimization, um, you might want to dive into certain positions in different ways. So, James, there's, there's a thought among most people that, you know, running backs have the best floor, so you want to put most of your money into running backs in a cash game. Is there any any data or any sort of thing that you can back that up with or 
go against that? The only data point is Christian McCaffrey. That's I, I mean that's like the only data point in NFL specifically. Um, I, I will like preface most of like these positional constraints as it being pretty slate dependent. Like Christian McCaffrey at, at the beginning of the week in a vacuum, nothing else happens. Like it's just a regular week where everything goes according to plan, which never happens. But if it does, uh, Christian McCaffrey is an obvious priority in catch games. Period. Um, like I said, that never happens. A lot of the time we have something where a running back is out or they get scratched or they get somebody's inactive, a backup's inactive or something like that. And it opens up for this, uh, this kind of like if a high end running back is scratched, then a low end running back is then going to be pretty important for cash games. But um, to, to like better answer that question, I guess um, I, I don't know that running backs have the best floor anymore. They used to have the best floor. I talked about this with Blender on Roto-Grinders Live the other day, but running backs used to have the best floor, and I think people still are utilizing them as such, but now it's kind of high-priced wide receivers have um, at least an equal floor as well as having a lot more upside than high-priced running backs most of the time outside of Christian McCaffrey. So I don't think they really have the best floor. I don't think that it's really necessary to just say, I am going to pay up at running back and pay down a wide receiver. I think that a lot of people are still doing that, and that's kind of a mistake. Um, you can get a lot of the production out of running backs just from touchdowns and mid range. So even though that's a little bit more variant way to go about things, I think that the floor is not necessarily as good as it used to be on running backs. Right. Have you found yourself agreeing with that? Have you noticed yourself going more towards wide receivers, high price wide receivers? Right. So uh, you want to, if you want to be a really good player, you, you want to be, you don't, you don't want to go a steadfast rules for one. Um, two main thoughts here. The site and the scoring matters. So on FanDuel, it's a half-point PPR. DraftKings is a full-point PPR. So on FanDuel, Christian McCaffrey is not going to be quite as valuable because of the half-point PPR as he would be on DraftKings. Now, sometimes the pricing may kind of, like, even that out. Um, but And then the other, the other thing to consider, too, with – the evolution of all this is that one, you know, like the, the amount of passing in the league tends to go up and up and up, which bumps receivers. And then now the amount of bell cow running backs just seems to shrink more and more and more. Um, and I know like there were several years ago where we had like when David Johnson was on the Cardinals and, and Le'Veon Bell was in his prime, it, you know, those two stood out about the rest. Now McCaffrey's kind of in his own tier, but we do have like three or four other guys. Um, but there's one guy particularly that isn't game proof, Derrick Henry. So it's like with him, he's going to be way more volatile than Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook and those guys, because if Tennessee has a lead, the guy has the potential to rush for 150 yards and get in the end zone multiple times. But we just saw last week, Arizona steamrolled Tennessee. And at that point he was, he, I think he, the yardage, he actually didn't do too bad, but they were blown out and he didn't get in the end zone. So that's the thing you have to consider. Running backs' roles are not what they used to be. Um, there's just so many timeshares to keep them fresh. And then wide receivers, passing is more and more of a thing year to year. Um, so you're seeing their roles get elevated and you're seeing running backs' roles go down. So it's kind of like getting hit both ways. Um, but the site has the scoring has a lot to do with how you should dictate that as well. Another common thing 
that uh, people are, you know, say you should do is just punt a position. Like uh, sometimes it's QB or sometimes it's tight end. Usually it's tight end. Brett, is there, and obviously it's, it's late dependent, week dependent, but how do you look at like punting a position? With punting, um, a lot of people do defense. I think we saw this last week. Um, who who was it? There's a min. There's a the min Falcons price defense, and, and I think that yeah, the Falcons, and they're massively owned. So you'll see a lot with defense. Defense is just like your last decision point. Um, but with tight ends, DraftKings, the floor pricing for tight end is so low, and DraftKings pricing is not as loose as Fanduel. So a lot of times you'll just find guys that are priced like 3K or sub 3K a lot of times, and they become viable. They're a point-per-dollar play, and their roles aren't anywhere near the, the Travis Kelsey's or the Darren Waller's, but from an optimal construction standpoint, they tend to pop. And they're going to be pretty volatile because their roles, you know, they, they're, they're limited to a degree. But when their price is so low, you know, there's two main things in cash. One is you want volume, but the other thing is when you're evaluating a lineup to assign value. So obviously you can't fit all the best plays, so you have to get cheap somewhere. So I think defense is where a lot of people do it because it, it should be the last. Defense is very random. But for tight end, you'll see a lot on DraftKings. It's, it's very, very viable in cash builds just because the floor pricing on tight ends is very, like, advertising from how low they put some of those guys. Uh, anything to add there, James, for punting position? Um, not really. I, I think that – I will say that I think that a lot of people punt wide receiver now. Like, too many people punt wide receiver. And it's because we, we end up having uh, – well, maybe that's just an early in the season thing. I agree with Brett that most people will punt tight end, most people will punt defense. Um, although, like – Travis Kelsey, you pretty much just get an automatic 25 fantasy points. And mm. it's it's hard to pass that up, I think, in cash games. Like, typically, I think there's, at least on DraftKings, right? Because like, like Brett mentioned, half-point PPR, Travis Kelsey is not near as valuable as he is on full-point PPR. But on DraftKings, like, I think there's a lot of benefit to starting with a premium tight end and starting with, uh, you know, usually Christian McCaffrey. And then just kind of going from there and finding the values to fill in around it. But uh, yeah, it, it's slight dependent. And, and a lot of the time punting at tight end, I never work in absolutes, but a lot of the time punting at tight end is going to be um, the most viable strategy for being able to afford the other high priced pieces. And maybe, and maybe Darren Waller uh, gives uh, Travis a run for his money this year, 19 targets on Monday night. <laughs> Man. <laughs> It's it's funny. I I just finished I just finished my first round of projections, and I was like, man, Darren Waller's gonna project like God, and he doesn't. And I I don't know why. So I need to look at that. But nineteen targets. Well, I mean, yeah, you can't expect it's, that he's gonna get nineteen targets again. Uh, no. I but I mean, and I posted in Discord too. Like Las Vegas threw eighty two percent of the time in the adjusted script. So fucking I don't know, man. But whatever. Maybe you will. With uh. With Vegas' situation, Jacobs was sick, but he was he was you know he was active and he played. But I think he was um, he was restricted a little bit. They used a lot of Kenyon Drake, um, 
But the other thing, too, is like the development of Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. Like Edwards just came out of nowhere and just came alive. The, the, I think the final drive of regulation OT literally was getting shut out, ended up with like four for 82 or something. And then Ruggs, yeah. he struggles to run good routes and get open and get separate. Um, so it's, it's kind of putting all that stress. And obviously, Carr's report of Waller is so strong. Um, but also going back to the wide receiver thing, I think the floor pricing on some of these wide receivers was just too low to start the season. Um, a lot of those guys that were like 3K were like, like, like Elijah Moore is probably like the number two option in his offense. And he obviously completely busted. But like Rondell Moore and like Michael, like Michael Pittman wasn't 3K, but he was like low fours, I think. And he may be the number one receiver in that offense without, you know, T.Y. Hilton. So, it's just it's just early season, you know, adjusting and you know, the pricing comes out so early too. We don't know a lot yeah. of things prior to that. So I think the wire series thing might just be a short term thing based on early season pricing. The the last thing I wanna really touch on in positions here is uh quarterback floor. Um I think there is a thought that a rushing quarterback, you know, the old Konami code as it's referred to is you know, you have a better floor with a rushing quarterback. Brett, do you do you prioritize the type of quarterback that you use in cash? Um, obviously, it's going to be slate dependent and it's going to be price dependent. But rushing floors are definitely a real thing. Um, in a vacuum, I would definitely say yes. Um, the interesting thing is like the development of the NFL. Um, the amount of pure pocket passers not that large at this point a lot of these guys can run but you're going to see different tiers or to different you know to different extremities i mean lamar jackson probably stands out as number one he's basically has the athletic ability of a, of a wide receiver so you know he sometimes he even looks to run and this year like their offense looked pretty bad i rashad bateman was a guy they're really high on obviously they're down to what their fourth running back so be a lot on his shoulders this year in that offense and I don't necessarily think they're a bad team either so he's gonna have a lot of responsibility to run the football and he's kind of like the number one guy for rushing floors and um don't sleep on Jalen Hurts as well um he likes to run but um the, the point is a lot of these guys run now but sometimes the field doesn't appropriately account for that you know sometimes they'd rather just you know attack like the Patrick Mahomes who does run too but Lamar runs a lot more and obviously you get one point for every 10 rushing yards where you get one point for every 20 or 25 passing yards don't know the exact the one cat I will say is DraftKings does give you a 300 yard passing bonus so that that built Mahomes floor him particularly a lot more than it would on a site that does not offer that bonus um but I definitely do think in a vacuum rushing quarterbacks do give you that bigger floor um, because otherwise you're kind of looking more or less at the volume of passing and the quality of like the situation they're in. Like if they are expected to be a big underdog, you know, they'll be expected to throw more garbage time can be a really beautiful thing in daily fantasy. <laughs> and obviously you get softer coverage when, you know, you're down multiple scores late in the game. So long as the starters and the key guys are all in there. Um, like last week, green Bay, New Orleans, they pretty much punted the game 10 minutes up in the fourth quarter. And then so I crapped all my Devontae Adams and Alvin Kamara shares. So, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> yeah. so, 
Um, but quarterback rushing floors, I definitely like them. And depending on how the field evaluates them, I do think they can be a little low-key sneaky at times. So, But a lot of guys do run today. Anything to add about uh, rushing quarterbacks, James? Uh, no, not really. I mean, rushing quarterbacks, if you can get them in cash, they're exceptionally valuable. Um, again, they usually come at a price is, is the thing. So people used to be able to punt down at quarterback. That used to be the thing. But I still think that's valuable. Um, something like Mac Jones being 4,500 or 4,400 or whatever he was week one, that kind of stuff still matters. If you can ever get a quarterback under $5,000, they're still going to be just as valuable as a rushing quarterback that is, you know, $7,000 just because the savings that you have and the, uh, the medians and the range of outcomes on quarterbacks are so thin and, uh, and so narrow that that for that, that price under 5k, um, can go a really, really long way in allowing you to have the studs kind of like punting that tight end situation, like tight end production is, is very low outside of a couple little outlier dudes. So, um, punting tight end makes sense because you're not really dealing with a wide range of outcomes at the position. Same thing with quarterback. If you can pay down at quarterback, like way down at quarterback for 15 to 20 fancy points, um, that's usually going to be a pretty good way to go. Uh, the other way is to go for a rushing quarterback who has an exceptionally high floor and a very high ceiling as well. So I, I think that it's slate dependent. I think it really depends on how much value there is on a slate to unlock the rushing quarterbacks. But you know, I can say it's late dependent to every single question ever. <laughs> yeah, why did we just talk this whole time? We could have just said it's all late dependent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's just clear this whole thing, and then we'll just go to the intro, and then me and Brett will both just say at once it's late dependent, and then that's that's podcast. <laughs> Brett, James has to jump off. Do you have anything else to add? Otherwise, I'm gonna close this out. Um, no. Um, cash games in NFL have the most edge left in any sport. So if you or to play cash, definitely play NFL. If you're low stakes, try try to play below five dollars because you'll get so much softer competition. I can't really state that enough. Before I was restricted from low stakes, like there's so many soft opponents, one or two dollar heads, and you can post as many or as you know as your bankroll will allow. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up here, James. Uh, where can everybody jump onto your work and uh, follow you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter machine at Patered underscore DFS. Uh, you can find me on the www web at uh, paterdfs.com. Um, once again, just switching everything over from pater.ghost.io over to paterdfs.com. If you are a subscriber uh, at the ghost site, make sure that you go over to the paterdfs site and go log in for the first time. You'll have to say that you forgot your password. Uh, it's super fucking annoying, and I'm sorry, but I'm not a web developer, so I'm doing my best. Um, but that's where you can find everything. And Brad, if uh, something you want, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm I'm decently active at um, b underscore healed one five two. And I'd like to thank you guys for having me on um, on my Twitter. I'll I'll tilt some. I'll I'll get in. <laughs> I'll I'll make DK's. Um, customer service life a little bit more difficult i like to hold the, uh, the sites fairly accountable because i feel like they have a pretty big responsibility to the player base so but yeah you can find me at b underscore heels 152 on twitter and um like i said i appreciate you guys for having me on all right thank you very much and uh good luck everybody this week